Hi, this is Jim Lobato. I'm the president and founder of a company called Performance Group. You're listening to the podcast version of a program that originally aired on BizTalk Radio Show. I started BizTalk so you can have access to today's leading experts about growing your company and yourself. BizTalk is produced by Performance Group, which is in the business of helping the leadership of growth-oriented companies realize their potential. We do this by working with their sales force and helping those individuals discover and develop their unique abilities and then align those abilities with their opportunities. That's why we're known as a Salesforce development company. I hope you enjoy this podcast. You're listening to BizTalk. On our program tonight is Tom Schaff. We're going to talk about differentiating value, how to get paid for the value that you bring to your customers. For more than 20 years, Tom has been researching, writing, and speaking on sales, creativity, and finding one's calling. He is the author of several books, and Tom is a frequent speaker at industry conferences where he shares his philosophy on putting the person back into salesperson. Too often, Tom says, we concentrate on the selling part of sales and forget about the people part, which is basically communicating and making connections. A self-styled perpetual student, Tom is never content to rest on his laurels, and he's always looking for new ways to enrich his experiences. For those of you who know Tom, he is basically a lifelong learner. Tom began his journey in sales working for his family business in Madden, North Dakota. He earned his business degree with emphasis in accounting, computer science, and philosophy from the University of Minnesota. He has worked with Fortune 500 companies such as Kraft, Lucent Technologies, McDonald's, and AT&T. He is the founder and president of Exponential Growth Systems based in St. Louis. Tom, welcome to the program. Good to be here. Tom, in the talks I give on differentiating value to companies and groups and associations, we talk about the two sides of that. One is the side the company creates, the true differentiating value. And there's the side of the salesperson or the sales force that has to go out there and sell that value, which is really a skill development. And let's talk about the skill development first, the skill it takes to sell differentiating value. You made a comment to me one time that you get sent to the person who you sound the most like. So what do you mean by that? Well, you know, whatever you sell, the more you talk about it, the more that's who you get sent to. So people that talk about their features and functions get sent to people that buy features and functions. And, Jim, guess where that's at? Probably at the buyer's level, Tom. That's at the buyer's level. Interestingly enough, the people upstairs aren't talking feature and functions. They're talking about other things. If you want to, you know, hang out with the French, you got to speak French. And if you want to hang out with the sea level, you got to talk sea level. And the key is to translate that value. So um, you get sent to who you sound like. If you call high and you get sent low, it's because you're talking a foreign language. Make sure you're talking at the right speak. Okay. And I, I think that's going to tie greatly into our topic on creating value. And But you've talked about, you know, a differentiating value, and, and just so we're on the same page tonight with our listeners, uh, let's get a definition of, of what you think that is, differentiating value. Well, differentiating value, shortcut, describes what you do that's either unique or demonstrably um, better. It's the things you sell other than price that separates you from the competition. It's the stuff that companies and customers value. And in other words, it's, it's not only um, – what they value, but what they want, and what you get paid for. And here's the, here's the big idea. Across the country, especially in this um, turbulent time, 
most people are, are buying based on price and not because that's the only way it's the way people are selling whenever you're going to get a premium margin protecting um, investment from your customers it's because you sold what you do to someone who values it and that's what we call differentiating value well what time I talked to a lot of uh, company presidents just as you do and and people will tell you that they're they're out there selling value or at least they want their sales force out there selling value and, and at the same time you probably see that they're really missing the mark on that you know I would say that you know value is, is a very interesting thing that you really don't know what it is and, and unless it's the absence of that then you're able to describe like you didn't receive that value so when, you, when you're out there uh, working with sales forces working with company presidents uh, what are the symptoms that you see that, hey, their value proposition is off, even though they may be telling you that this is what our value proposition is? It sounds like this is a Jeff Fox for the, uh, you know, thing like you may, you, you may be guilty of, of having a problem with DV if. Um, and the answers to that are um, if you're putting undue pressure on your margins, if you're surprised at the last minute in a long and complex sale, um, other surprises that, that indicate you might have symptoms of needing to, to refresh your DVR. There are new decision makers. There are new decision ground rules, new competitors. Whenever we see surprises that create disadvantages for your side, it typically points to some kind of erosion of, of DVR. Another uh, simple uh, symptom is when a company has to discount in order to get business. Even though we're in a tough economy, oddly enough, people aren't buying just on price, um, especially when you're offering something superior to your competition. I guess two other symptoms are when the seller is so far down in the prospects organization that they can't be an effective person in influencing the decision. And then the last one is uh, a symptom of loss is when a concession of your DV um, it leads to uh, your salespeople actually talking to the wrong people. They're talking to people who have a vested interest in not changing business relationships, and they have a whole lot of desire to avoid the pain of change. I, I think those are probably the big symptoms. But you hear out there, just like I hear, that um, um, the common response back is, well, you just don't understand, Tom, that people are just buying on price. That, that that's what we're constantly hearing out there, and, and what I I guess I'm saying is what you're saying is that that's the symptom of some of their value proposition really being off base. Well, you know, value translation starts with knowing what you're really good at and who gives a darn, and so it's being selective and saying rather than just dealing with calls that you know I'm working with a company right now that gets a couple hundred different call-ins a week through their website. Um, so there are leads that are generated. The problem is none of the people could possibly buy to save their life. So they're very, very busy, but what are they busy about? This, this idea of value creation is to start and say, who do we create value for? And let's only, let's only spend time with people that we create value for. Okay. So, so the other things that you've talked about before uh, and you've mentioned this, is, is really this uh, translation and isolation. Uh, what are those two concepts as it relates to this, uh, this differentiating value? A great question. Translation is the process that you go through when you turn the absence of your DV or your differentiating value into consequences your prospect may experience. So what does that really mean? It's where you take um, 
us from somewhat intellectual concept of consequences, and you take it to the emotional basis for a decision to change um, either behavior or business relationships. So what's translation? You start with what you have, and you say, is this person, who's the person that's going to get hurt if they don't buy from us? That's the beginning. Now, when it comes to isolation, the the purchasing way, the, com- the way companies purchase today is um, – there's a lot of pressure to separate um, and isolate um, the purchasing function from people who actually use the product. So here's what that's to say. When we can separate the decision and its consequences, um, salespeople are forced to volunteer to talk to the purchasing agent. And when they're talking to the purchasing agent because the purchasing agent doesn't actually use the product or the service, the consequences don't really show up of not having that differentiating value. But it doesn't mean it doesn't cost the, the buyer something. You know, so I'll give you an example. Um, if I'm getting commoditized and I'm not realizing my value, I'm getting sent down, a purchasing agent may call us up and say, we're going to give you an opportunity to bid. We're going to give you an opportunity to uh, fill out an RFP. And that's all well and good, except for... They're like, we're not giving you any information. If you want a chance, just quote and hope, pray and spray, and um, we'll decide if you get to come back. Um, they decide that somebody's um, a better fit because they're going to give it to them for 10 or 15% less. But it doesn't work as well, or it, it's not as efficient, or there are other costs. See, it's one thing to look at what something costs on the upfront. It's another thing to look at what's the total cost of ownership, and and that's what we really speak to when you translate and you look at um, buyers that buy in isolation. Okay, so um, give give me a real world example of this translation. What do you see out there that that's worked out in the real world? So we can get a reference point here. Well, you want me to go with something technical or commoditized? Uh, let's go with commoditized first. Um, you know, it probably doesn't get any more commoditized than um, cinnamon. So one time we had a, a client who um, sold cinnamon for a living, and this person did a fantastic job, got their Supplier of the Year award. They, they just sold a whole lot of cinnamon to a company that created knockoff products of branded goods that happened to have cinnamon. Um, unfortunately, after years and years of working with them and having all of their buy for cinnamon, a new purchasing agent came in. And the new purchase agent had a big you know, star sheriff, new sheriff in town, sent out letters to every one of the vendors and said, I'd like you to requote everything. And wherever they didn't have three bids, they said, well, we've got to find some other one. We've got to source some other folks. We've got to have three bids on everything. Our client got this letter that sounded something like this. We've always appreciated working with you. You've been the supplier of the year. Unfortunately, it's come to our attention that we are paying a premium for your cinnamon. Therefore, we ask you to re-quote this business. We'd sure like to work with you, but unless you can change your prices, we're going to have to sever our ties. We look forward to a long you know, continuing history with us, please get us back this bid by a certain time. So the cinnamon salesperson calls up and says, what do I do? We say, well, you know, well, why should they buy from somebody else? Um, what will they give up if they don't buy from you? He said, well, I have a PhD in food science. Before I work with them, it took them on average six extra days 
per product to um, get a product out. I've shortened that time cycle. I said, so, you know, help me out. I'm not that smart. Um, What's the impact of six days? They said, well, six days on a product launch, it's about $160,000 a day of margin on their sales. When they do business with me, they get an extra $960,000 of margin. Now, looking at my price of my cinnamon, just because I can help them do it faster. We said, so does, does the buyer care about that? No, all they care about is the three cents a pound. So we stopped and we said, hey, who's the person that's going to get, how many, how many uh, cinnamon products do they have a year? Oh, I don't know, anywhere from six to ten. So he said, you know, 160 times six days, 960, roughly a million, six to ten products. Who's the person that's going to get fired because they're going to be short six to ten million dollars of margin? He said, oh, that's easy. That's the product, you know, product manager. Have you ever talked to the product manager? Nope, never talked to him. See, this is where the purchasing agent was buying in isolation making a decision that gets them a trophy at the annual meeting that says, look how much you've saved us. But while they're saving three cents a pound, they're losing all those millions of dollars of margin over on the product manager side. Our strategy to call up the product manager and say, hey, we really have appreciated working with you. We wondered what you're going to do now that you're going to lose, I don't know, six to $10 million of margin. They said, "Who? I don't understand why you're calling me. You say you sell cinnamon? Yes, but your your uh, changes are resulting us us not being able to work with us, and we wanted to know how you're going to deal with that. And he goes, explain that to me. So we kind of showed him what was happening, and gosh darn it, the rule is whoever's got the biggest financial impact typically has the most votes. It wasn't very long till that person, um, this salesperson, got that whole account back. That, that, that's great, Tom. That's, yeah. a, that's really a great story to illustrate that. Tom, you've already given us a lot of insight. In the times you're in right now, it seems like nobody really has the answers. And I don't know if it's as important to have the answers as it is to have the right questions. So as it relates to differentiating value, are there some questions that we should be asking? You know, there's actually a few models that we'd take a peek at, but let's start off with three that I, I like to think about all the time. And the first one is, how well do your prospects believe they're doing right now in the absence of a relationship with you? If you don't show up and they think they're perfectly fine, that's probably a problem for you. How much fun is it for them to stop doing whatever they're currently doing and start doing something with you? And here's the third question. What will cause them to change, and when will they do it? Now, the rule, Jim, is when the pain of change is greater than the pain of loss, when the pain of change, when it's harder to do something than it is to put up with the problem I have, there's no sale. When the pain of loss is greater than the pain of change, when it's worse to take a look at what my opportunity cost is, what the problems I have, are than it is to change, that's when you'll get sold. And so those are the kind of modeling questions that I typically would start off with. So is that um, um, what you're really talking about, uh, what I hear a lot of people run into this resistance, that they, they respond to a proposal, 
and and they come in and in some cases let's say they are less expensive and let's say in some cases they are offer superior value however however they would illustrate that uh, and then they come back and say you know we didn't get the deal and and it's kind of like it's being blamed on this status quo that appears to be out there with most buyers is that what you're talking about when that that not knowing the I guess the pain or the uh, the absence of not doing business with you. Well, I'm going to change the the perspective on that a little bit. When we've audited deals, you know, proposals that have right. actually gone out in the past, approximately twenty percent of all the proposals people generate actually get a sale. And so, some geniuses say, "Hey, here's an idea: quote five things, you'll get one sale." But that's not really how it works. The reason why you got those twenty percent is. You had them before you quoted, and that deal, that proposal wasn't to convince somebody. It was to confirm what you already talked about. Now, in our research, in most industries, and I'm sure it's different by company and it's by industry and by location, but overall, if I were going to make up a number, I'd say about 30% of the deals actually go to a competitor. And, you know, it's not that you got beat in there. You were never in the game. They had that deal won. And, Jim, you know why they asked you to play? Well, you know, a couple things. Column got... fodder. Yeah. <laughs> they, you know, they, they said, hey, let's go get another leading competitor so we can beat the tar out of the guy we want to buy. So it's a leveraging point. But if you're good at math, what you right now realize is if 20% of the deals are deals I'm winning, and 30% of the deals I'm involved are going to a competitor, there's still 50% out there. What happens to them? And the answer is 50% of all proposals, people don't do a thing. The biggest competitor is not only status quo, like their existing competitors, it's like the internal resources. The hardest thing, when we look at things, Jim, there's three investments people make. And what we've been talking to date this evening is it's, it's about price. But price is rarely, money is rarely the problem. Typically, there's two other investments in any sale that are much larger, and they're time and they're change. For example, Jim, in the history of you training, and you've trained a lot of people, fair? Yep, that's fair. What's the easiest thing for a company to do? Write you a check, send the people to you on a protracted basis, or to get the people to actually change their habits and do something different? Uh, What's the easiest? The easiest one? Uh, Just to send me a check and we'll train it. It's to send the check. Now, what's the the next hardest thing? It's trying to get those behaviors changed in the classroom out at the field. Oh, that's the most impossible thing. Yeah. See, the easiest thing is write a check. A little harder, but still doable, is to get the people actually to a class, time. The mm-hmm. hardest part, getting them to do anything. So when, and that's true for almost every industry. So what we look at is, so where do most people spend all their time? Talking in advance about the changes that someone would have to make and why it would be important enough to do and what the consequences of, of what happens if we don't do that, or do they quote their price? And for those people that go down the slippery slope of giving out their prices before they dealt with change, they come back to you and they say, Jimbo, it's so hard out there. The economy, it's killing me. 
why you know it's impossible only thing that people buy on right now is price and that's an indication that you you know you get treated how you sell and if you make it just about price that's what the issue is going to be so you're in, in one of our sales quick coach newsletters here we wrote the other day it basically said that uh, you know quit talking about you know your products and services people don't want to buy those what they want to buy is the net effect of what those products and services bring. And, and well, I, you know, it might not be what they want to buy, but that's what they'll pay a premium for. And let's fact, can we do an exercise? Sure. Pick a company that you know, an industry that you know a lot about. Like, you probably know a lot about radio. Yeah, let's, let's start with that. So pick a station that you used to work for. Okay. And you're coming in to sell me some radio, mm-hmm. and I'm not the boss of my shop. I'm kind of a lower-level media buyer, and somehow you're in front of them, and you've got your appointment, and you're in your spiffy, keen suit. And you come in, and you say, Mr. Schaff, it's great to meet you. I would like to just you know, find out some about your business. I'm like, Jimbo, hate to you know, cut to the core, but my kids are sick. I got five minutes. Tell me six reasons why I should do business with you, and if it goes well, I'll let you come back. No, not what you would do, Jimbo, but what does the average person in that media industry say? Well, they'll talk about their ratings. They'll talk We've about got the, the greatest ratings. We've got the greatest programming. We've got the greatest programming. That's like quality. Yeah. And then uh, we reach this type of listener. We reach this kind of person. Quality. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, we get the most impact for advertisers like you. That's probably what they say. Okay, anything else? Um, well, they're probably going to talk about, the, if they're under those conditions, they're probably going to talk about the, uh, the current uh, package they have out there, a package of uh, advertising. We'll throw in these free, you know, right, public let's do, relations things let's and do these mentions and right. these billboards on the hour, right? We got, the, we got this event coming up, correct. And, and plus, we've got great ad writers. We can write ads for you. Absolutely. So I say, you know what, thanks a lot, um, and then I blow you off, and I never let you come back. Yeah. And then, you know what, to no problem of yourself, fiscal malfeasance something, your radio station goes upside down, they change the format, you're out of a job, and now you come back to me for another station. You say, Tom, I was in here before, my station went upside down, I'd like to talk to you about your radio, and I say, Jim... I always liked you. I thought you always treated me right. But you know what? My kids are still sick. What are the five reasons I should buy from you at your news station? Well, we got these great ratings. We got this great audience. We got this great creative department. And here's the package that we have out there. And after we do this exercise, I say, well, when you say great, compared, how is it compared to your other station? Uh, well, it has a little bit better ratings than the other station. And how's your, how are your ads? How's your creative, how's your writing of ads? Um, well, we have a little bit better creative department. And how's the packaging? Uh, very competitive on the pricing. Huh. You know, and so here's this point. The more my guys asking me what makes me different, in the back of my head, what am I saying as the buyer? You're exactly. <laughs> exactly the same. 
In fact, the more you propose and the more you do and the more you write, the more you're convincing me that you're exactly the same. Now, if I'm buying sugar and it's exactly the same, we call that a... Commodity. And commodities are purchased based solely on... What your price is. Price. And that's what's happening in the market, and that's what this show's about. It's how do you undo that? So, so it really comes back to... Um, but in one aspect, change gears here for you, I would hear from people and say, well, Tom, what you're talking about is really skill training or skill development or salespeople. And I don't want to misguide it on that. Skill development is one thing. The other side of that is re- differentiating really what your true value is and having something, uh, something else to talk about out there on that sales call other than your products or services. So let me ask you this. What, do you, what steps do you go through to actually start figuring out your what your differentiating value is? That is a great question. You know, there's probably a, a lot of steps. Um, and the steps that we're going to talk about, I'd like to go through two different ways. The first one's what do we do to find this differentiation? And then what do we do when we're going to actually use it in a competitive situation? So I think the first thing is I want to go with who's my ideal prospect? Based on my horse sense, based on my gut, based on market segmentation, if I'm a bigger company, I'm pretty fancy. Um, Who's my ideal prospect? And then I ask myself this question. What are the top five unique characteristics that we offer to this ideal prospect? Now, the translation part starts going when I say, what are all the consequences? And I mean, what are every consequence to this prospect in absence of the strengths I identified. What I'm saying there is, if they don't buy from me and get those things that I thought were so unique, what happens to them? Of all those consequences, and I wanna work every single one of them, and after I've got them all worked, I say, okay, of all these, what would give me the most stomach acid if I were those people? Where are those gonna show up? Do they show up in some PL statement? How do they show up? When do they show up? Who's the person that's going to get fired when they show up? Who's going to get that bill? That starts telling me who I need to sell to, what the message needs to be, and what my, you know, what's, what's going to be my strategy to get in there. Now, if I'm in a competitive situation, I might say, what does the prospect get if they don't, if they buy the competition? Like, realistically, um, there's there's no free moves. If they buy, if they don't buy from me and they buy from somebody else, they're going to get something. They're going to give something up when they buy from me. So I want to know, if they bought from the competition, what are all the things they could possibly get? And then I'm going to say, what does this prospect give up that they don't get from me that's demonstrably better? And then after that, I use those same questions. I analyze the impact and I say, what's the impact of what they've given up? When does it show up? Who feels it operationally? Where does it show up? Who's going to get fired? And then after that, I get, here is my place. Here's my point of entry. Here's the person that if I can get to them, maybe I can change the game. And now I need my tool sets. And you referred to sales training, Mm -hmm. whether it's third-party stories, assumptive questions, barbells, uh, different constructs. This is where I'm going to take my strategy messaging and I'm going to thread it through my tactical training to see if we can make a difference. Jim, in all my years of of doing training, and I started my company back in 1994, um, 
I found that when people skip looking at the strategic positioning, when they skip the differentiating value and they do sales training, it doesn't work. It's because they've learned how to do the sales training move. The problem is it doesn't score any points because they're off message. Interesting. All right, we're going to come back with uh, Tom on uh, differentiating value. If you want more information on what we're talking about tonight, just send me an email to info at biztalkradioshow.com. Tom, we've talked about how differentiating value applies to a commodity, some type of commodity sale. And I was curious, how does this apply in something that's not a commodity, let's say like a service something that's more of a complex sale that generally takes a little bit longer to unfold and where there's really more consultative selling that goes into the process. How does it apply in that situation? Well, you know, let's use something from just recently. I was up in Calgary, Alberta uh, just days ago um, working on a com- with a company that sells plasma gasification, which in short takes landfill waste, process it, turns it into syngas, or uh, turns it into electricity, and then takes the stuff that's left and turns that into some kind of, uh, it's, an, it's called slag, it's an aggregate that can be used in uh, making roads. And so their average sale on the small side is going to be $28 million. On the large side, it's a $200 million sale. So I audit their sales process and find out that just like we've been talking about, they're talking to the wrong person, people that have been calling in, not people that they need to call. Uh, these folks um, are good people, but they're asking all the questions, they're getting all the technical solutions, they're requiring proposals, and then this amazing thing happens at the end of the process, Jim. What's that? Guess how many of them are buying? Let <laughs> me go out on a limb here and, and say probably not enough. Not enough. Pipeline blow. Like lots of proposals, nothing happening. So um, we did this very exercise, and we said, hey, you know, who really, who, when you're not there, who's going to get hurt? And they said, well, depends on the size of the company, but it's going to be a plant manager, might be a, a controller of a division. They're, they got some real stomach acid. Um, there's also a, an energy person at a utility that might be upside down. So they said, okay. We, we've got that. Now we look and we say, well, what's unique about your offering? You know, what are the five characteristics you think you offer them? And they say, well, here's one offering. Um, uniqueness, if they don't it, buy from us, they're going to buy somebody else who can only process one kind of feedstock, one kind of, you know, waste. The problem is the laws are changing all the time. And if they don't get the right product in there to begin with, the right plant, if the laws change, they could have a huge investment in something that's stuck and that has to be retrofitted, could be very, very expensive. I said, well, what do you call that? And they said, we call that flexibility. And I said, what do, do you think that these people upstairs have this mind share where they're saying we need something flexible? And they go, no, that's, that's what we give them, but... They don't seem too excited about that. I said, if they pay $200 million for a plant, and in 10 years it's obsolete, what do you think happens to that guy? 
They said, well, that would be bad for the home team. And I'd say, what if we rechanged your message to risk mitigation? And what if we told them a story like, not sure if it happens here, but sometimes when we talk to people, they say that they would like to make an investment today if they knew the laws would stay stable. But they seem like they're always changing, and they couldn't afford to make a $200 million mistake. Where are you on that? That's exactly where we are. Pretend for a second that there was actually a way to mitigate that risk such that the investment you made paid you short time, short term, and if there were changes, there'd be all kinds of feedstocks you could process such that you wouldn't have that risk. You wouldn't be exposed. Where would you be with that? We would love that. Say, Jim, here's the idea. The only reason to have a sales force in the whole world, it's not to sell products. It's to change criteria. The Internet can sell products. Telemarketers can sell products. So why do you have an outside sales force? It's to have conversations with people about what their buying criteria it is, that, what their buying criteria are, and then it's to ask great questions based on an understanding and a strategy such that people reconsider their the buying criteria, and if they don't, you quickly know that these people are never going to be buyers for you. So here's the thing, Jim. If someone's really a buyer, are you going to invest in them? If they're really a buyer, we should invest yeah. in them. Absolutely. But if they're not, how soon do you want to get out of there? Uh, as soon as possible. <laughs> That's what we're talking about. <laughs> especially in today's economy. Right. Especially in this one. Especially in this one. Okay. I like to keep things simple. we got about a minute left, Tom. If you had to boil it down into three simple things, give me the three principles of differentiating value. What would they be? Boy, yeah, uh, should I say I don't know right now? Here's what they are, Jim. I, I think the first one is there are no free moves. Every decision a prospect makes involves giving something up. All decisions have trade-offs, and trade-offs have consequences. You have to know what those trade-offs are. Here's the second one. Know who the real customer is, and it's rarely the person that's calling you. And the third principle, if I had to wind it up into three, is anything you say to which your competition can say, me too, means you just volunteered to compete on price. Therefore, don't say anything that you don't need to say. Ask questions that make sense, that change the criteria. Say only differentiated sales uh, type things and, um, and, and be skilled. Do your differentiation homework on the front. Get great skill set, uh, training like from a guy like Jim, and I think you're off to the races. Great. Thanks, Tom. This has been BizTalk. This or other BizTalk podcast may be downloaded by visiting our website at www dot biztalkradioshow.com or you can subscribe to biztalk through itunes if you want to learn the strategies how to take your sales force to the next level you can contact the performance group at 800-550-9509 or visit us on the web at www.pmgllc.net